Side Hustle Show 325. This is the million dollar hobby. It's a unique and scalable way to monetize what you're already interested in. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you're expert enough. My guest today made over $1.1 million from what he calls his photography hobby. But what's interesting slash exciting is that he never got paid to take pictures. He never sold any of his photos. He never held any photography workshops. So what did he do instead? He built and subsequently sold three websites related to photography that sold digital products to other photographers. I invited Mark Andre on the show. Today, he runs a personal finance site called vitaldollar.com. But I invited him on the show to hear his unique process for starting and growing these sites, even though he wasn't a professional photographer. When he started the stuff on the side, he'd been running a design blog, so he was comfortable in Photoshop. And he saw the products that were being sold to designers and saw some overlap and some parallels in the digital photography space. For validation, he saw that there were deal sites and marketplaces that were catering to this community and said, you know what? I can build stuff to help them too. And what's funny is his initial goal was to just earn $5,000 to buy this DSLR camera kit and lens kit that he wanted. But like side hustles sometimes do, it took on this very lucrative life of its own. Now, Mark's kind of a soft-spoken guy, but I promise he's got some really interesting tactics to share in this one. And I encourage you to listen in for the ideas and growth hacks you might be able to apply to your own projects. Definitely got my gears spinning. Notes and links for this episode, plus the free PDF highlight reel you can download, are at sidehustlenation.com slash mark. It's M-A-R-C. As the CEO of your own life, you know that busy doesn't always equal effective. And along those lines, I want to invite you to join me and the 24 million other people who are using our sponsor freshbooks.com to get less busy with their bookkeeping and more effective. FreshBooks is the number one invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for side hustlers, freelancers, and consultants. It's simple, fast, intuitive. I've been a customer for years. Side Hustle Show listeners can try it free for 30 days. There's no catch, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section to get started today. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this call with Mark after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. Well, the first step is basically creating products, just stuff that was used in Photoshop. So you're talking about a software add-on. Give me an idea of what, what type of product you're talking about. Basically like files that you would use in Photoshop. So not technically an add-on, like not actual software, but things you would use to add photo effects to a photo or something like that. Okay. So that was something that was in your wheelhouse. You'd worked in Photoshop before, done a little bit of photo editing before, and you'd seen some demand for similar products on the web design side of things. That's interesting. So I say I'm going to create product first versus a lot of guests in the past have said, okay, audience first, product second. Like I'm going to blog, I'm going to YouTube, I'm going to podcast, I'm going to do all this stuff to build an audience and then I'll figure out something to sell them. You kind of took the opposite approach. Right. And that's, to be honest, it's not the approach I've taken with other sites I've had in the past, but that's the way I did it with this one. And, uh, you know, it worked out pretty well. So what happens next? So you create this stuff, but then you've got nobody to <laughs> nobody to sell it to. So what? how do you get it in front of your, your target customers? Right. So early on, I relied on third parties. I did create my own website. I did have e-commerce 
functionality I used. I don't know if you're familiar with Sendow. I used Sendow to to set up the e-commerce so I could sell the digital products. Sendow was real fast and easy to set up, so it didn't take a lot of time. But I didn't really have any traffic, so I wasn't really expecting to make many sales through the site. I did have a few people with typical affiliate relationship. Sendow has an affiliate program, so people could sign up for the affiliate program and then they would promote my products. But the much bigger part of my process and my plan was to use deal sites. So a lot of people listening are probably familiar with Ultimate Bundles. There's also some people may be familiar with AppSumo. In the photography industry, there's a big one called Five Day Deal. They do a few big promos a year. Some of those sites do bundles where they're taking products from different vendors and putting them into one big bundle. And then as a vendor, you're, you're getting like a very small percentage for each sale. I did a little bit of that, but more of what I did was like on smaller deal sites where they're promoting just your product. So there were some deal sites that were specific to designers and specific to photographers. And there was enough crossover in my products that I was able to use deal sites in both niches. So I just reached out to people who had these deal sites. What was the price point on the product? The first one I did, I made like, it was a smaller site. I made like a few hundred dollars, which is more than I was expecting because it was a low ticket offer. I, you know, I think I was only making probably less than $10 per sale. I made a handful of sales. I think the price point was probably under $20 on the, the sale price, the promo price on the deal site. If it was on my site, it would have been much higher than that. But they were low price point stuff. And on a couple of deal sites that did well, you know, one of my first ones, my commission was $10,000. Another one, my commission was like $2,500. Now those were bigger ones. I also had some that were, you know, just a few hundred dollars. And this was over the course of a few months. So I was able to tell that there was enough demand for the product. I did also use a little bit of, I sold on a few marketplaces. I didn't do a lot of sales, but for example, you can sell digital products on Etsy or Creative Market, Creative Market's graphic design, photography type stuff. I did sell a little bit on those. I didn't didn't do as well with those, but that was another option to get my products out there without actually having my own audience. Yeah, so these are kind of ways to fast track that instead of doing the content strategy, just going straight to people who already have audiences of buyers, the Etsy's of the world, creative markets of the world, and then these deal sites, especially this, I like this tactic of going after these niche deal sites that aim directly at the people that you want to serve. I'm trying to think of how I would parallel this if I was trying to replicate your success in a hobby of mine, like skiing or softball or something like that. There's probably deal sites out there for just about everything. So I think that's an interesting way to go. Yeah, the more I looked, the more deal sites I found. I wasn't aware of all of them when I started. Like one led to another and I kept finding more. But also, I mean, you could duplicate the same effect by just typical affiliate relationship where you're just lining up a promo with somebody who has an email list who's going to promote your product to their audience. I did do a little bit of that. I found it took a little bit more work. The deal sites, if they're there, are good because they're actively always looking for new deals. Whereas an affiliate, maybe they'll promote your stuff, maybe they won't. You can find some who will, but it'll take a little bit more work that way. What was the outreach like at the beginning? Were these companies like, dude, who are you? Well, you said the deal sites were like, yeah, we'll take anything. But the affiliates were a little bit more hesitant to work with somebody brand new. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had better results with the deal sites because like I said, they were, they're always looking, they need people to have the deals. Affiliates, I didn't do as much with that. And that's because I, you know, my results weren't as good. I did contact some people and got no response and some other people did promote it. It's really just finding the right person. You got to reach out to a little more people and, and network a little bit. Okay. 
So at that point, you've got several thousand dollars worth of actual product sales validation. What happens next? Are you creating blog content for the site at this point? Or you're just saying, look, I'm going to double down on this product creation strategy. Well, I was starting to do some blog content, but at that point, I was a little bit more focused on products, creating more products because I had I had products that did well, but if I'm going to rely on deal sites, I can't continue to promote the same product over and over again. There's a limit to what you can do. And they might, some of them might come back and promote it again six months or a year later or whatever. But so I needed to do two things. I needed to get traffic to my own site. And if I wanted to continue to use deal sites, I needed more products. At that point, my main focus was on creating more products. How did you figure out what to create next? Mostly, I just looked at other sites that were selling similar products see what was selling, what they were offering. Because I was selling on deal sites, I was seeing a ton of other products being pushed on the same audience. So I knew, had a good idea of some of the products that were in demand because I follow these deal sites every day. I see them putting out these new products. So really it was, a lot of it was just seeing the types of products that other people are selling. And then I wasn't really trying to copy their products, but create something that would appeal to the same people or serve the same purpose really looking at, at what was selling through through deal sites and marketplaces. And like I said before, some of those deal sites and also some of the marketplaces will tell you exactly how many products a certain or how many units a, a certain product has sold. If that's the case, you can look at it and say, okay, I can tell this product is selling better than that type of product. So I did that a little bit and then I kind of had a list of, of things I wanted to do. And then I just had to find if it was something I was capable of doing, I would do it myself. But a lot of the stuff at that point I decided to outsource because it was stuff that I wasn't comfortable doing myself. My main approach was to look for people who were already selling similar products. I would go to a marketplace. So the one I used the most was Graphic River. If you're familiar with Theme Forest that sells WordPress themes, it's a big marketplace. Graphic River is like their sister site for graphic design files. Like you can buy Photoshop files, icons. I think they might sell fonts, logos, all kinds of graphic stuff. And I think it's still the same way, but at least back then you could see how many sales any product had made. So what I was doing was looking for people who were designing and selling products that were similar to what I wanted to sell. So I could just go to them and say, hey, would you, are you available for me to hire? And I'll pay you a flat rate to create this product with the understanding that I would have full ownership to resell the product. But the whole key to that strategy was I couldn't go to people who were like the top sellers because it's not worth their time. They're not going to be interested in me paying them a somewhat small flat fee for them to create a product for me that I'm going to sell. They're just going to spend their time creating products to sell themselves. So I had to find people who had good looking products. And since these were visual products, you really can just tell by looking at it if it's a good product or not. So I was looking for good looking products that had low sales. So on those marketplaces, the sales aren't all about whether the product is good or not. If you're a new seller, you may have a good product, but you may get buried by people who have higher profiles. So there are some good products that kind of fly under the radar and don't really sell very well because it's somebody who doesn't have an established profile. So I was looking for products that look good, but had low sales. And there's actually, at the time anyway, there were a number of, wasn't that hard to find. I would see a product, for example, I could tell based on the price and the commission structure, that they would make $5 a sale and they'd only sold the product five times. So I know they've made 25 bucks from that product. So that was a good indicator that this person would be a good person to contact because they're spending time creating these products and they're not really making sales. I would contact them and say, are you interested in working as a freelancer? I'll hire you to create this product for me and I'll sell it at my website. 
Some said they weren't interested, but some said they were. I'd say at least 50% said they were. I would hire those people and I would get a product for a pretty decent price and they would make more than if they were trying to sell it on their own. That strategy worked out pretty well for finding new designers. There were actually two designers I found that way that I used for a long time and they did really great work for me at a fair price. So that was really the approach I used. And then also at that point, I had established relationships with the deal sites and with a couple of affiliates based on successful promos of my first product, or actually it was a bundle of products, my first bundle of products that I did, the promo that they did for me. So at that point, I had existing relationships. I had new products coming out. So it was really easy to get them to promote my new products. That part of it got easier with more products. And then as I was trying to decide on what products to create, a lot of the promos I did, especially on the deal sites, were bundles. So I would kind of work backwards and I would think, okay, I want to create a bundle of this particular type of product, what would I want to include? Like you mentioned, your wife does wedding photography. So for example, if I wanted to create a bundle for wedding photographers, I could have products like card templates for save the date cards. Like say she does an engagement session for somebody and then wants to sell them save the date cards that they can send out. You could design a template that photographers could use to create that card. You could use photo overlays that the photographer could use to decorate the wedding photos. So I would kind of work backwards and say, okay, I want to create a bundle for wedding photographers. What products would I want to include in that? And then I would go out and hire somebody to create those products. And then once they were created, I'd put them up for sale on my site. I'd put them in a bundle and I'd go out to a deal site and say, hey, I have this bundle of wedding photography products. Would you be interested in promoting it? So since I had the existing relationships, it was pretty easy. Yeah, going after even just a subset of that photography audience in that case. Now I'm on Graphic River right now, and you're right, you can still see how many times this product has been sold. So I think that's an interesting strategy for sure. And not going after the, look, I will teach you how to be a better photographer market, at least in the case of these products, I'm going to provide tools to make your life easier as you're somebody who's already a professional photographer. And so it didn't matter that you didn't have the professional credentials or whatever to say, look, I, I do this for a living myself. I'm one of you. I know your struggle. It's like, hey, this is something I think is going to help you. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Anything else on the product creation side? No, I mean, that's pretty much the whole approach I took on product creation. Okay. How about on the the content or the traffic side for the site itself? Did you do anything content marketing-wise? I did. Like I said, I did start to publish some content. Early on, I hired some freelance writers. I think what I did was I posted an ad on the Pro Blogger job board, paid like 50 bucks at the time. I don't know what the price is now. And I got a ton of responses. There's a lot of photographers that are part-time. So photography is kind of, it's a tough industry to to make a full-time living in right now because there's so many hobbyists. There's a lot of people who are interested in writing and I'm sure finding freelance writers in any niche isn't too difficult, but I think it was especially a lot of people in photography that want to write. So I just posted an ad and I had a ton of people respond and got prices from a lot of different people and tried out a few people and kept the ones that were the best fit. So I didn't initially, I didn't do too much of the writing myself. I was just kind of using some of the money I was making from the product sales to to hire writers. Eventually I did do a little bit more of the writing myself and I just kind of stuck to topics that I was comfortable with. I wouldn't write like a technical article on photography or anything that was above my head, but I could do like list posts or inspiration roundups where you would showcase creative commons photos from Flickr or something like that. I would do stuff related to Photoshop that I was comfortable with. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do, even if you're not an expert. And then I would just outsource the other content that I couldn't do. Are you still running the web design business at this time? Or have you gone full focus onto the photography stuff? So I started the photography stuff in 2012 and I sold the photography business in 2013. Right around this time that we're talking now was when I sold the web design blog. Yeah. So I had more time. I was doing some other stuff too. I was doing some freelancing. I did some work for the people that I sold my blog to. I continued. I stayed on board for a while and did some work there. But at this point, I was definitely having more time to put into it. Does it ever get to the point where it's relatively predictable or on autopilot, either from traffic from your site? It sounds like a pretty labor-intensive process to continually do this outreach to these deal sites. Like It's like, I'm going to go fight for these sales and and then it happens for five days or however long the bundle thing lasts. And then it's like, okay, now it's back to the drawing board. I got to create something new. I got to find a new partner. I got to do the next thing. Yeah. So you're definitely right. There was a good bit of work involved. And so that's why I knew that I had to build up traffic. Couldn't rely on... The deal sites were more of a bridge than long-term thing. So I did continue to use them later on, but I phased that out, scaled back a lot. As far as traffic goes, I did get a good bit of traffic from Pinterest. This was... I started using Pinterest in 2013 through 2014. So it was several years ago. It wasn't Pinterest wasn't as crowded with bloggers and marketers back then. And being a visual topic, it worked pretty well. And I got pretty consistent traffic from Pinterest. What kind of stuff did well for you? Roundups, list posts and stuff. 
that sort of stuff did well. And there, you know, there just wasn't as much, as many pins, as many, as much competition from, from content marketers and stuff. So it was easier to get pins. You could put stuff on group boards and everybody saw it. It wasn't like now where the smart feed really limits your view. I got pretty good traffic from Pinterest. I think I was, if I remember right, I think I averaged maybe like around a thousand visitors a day from Pinterest. So it wasn't avalanche of traffic, but it was pretty good. Eventually I did get traffic from Google. I didn't really do much of any keyword research or SEO, but just running the site for a few years, the site aged and, and I got more content on the site. It did pick up, but the main strategy I used was freebies. And this was like key to the whole process. I would offer basically like a limited version of, of my products for free. And I would get other get links from other sites to my freebies. And then some of those freebies required the person to enter their email address and opt in in order to get the download. And others where you could just download it without giving up your email address. I tried it both ways. If the download didn't require an email address, then I would make an additional offer for like even more freebies for an email address. And it works pretty well both ways. Like on the thank you page, like, hey, you just downloaded this thing. If you want even more, give me your email and, and I'll send you more stuff. Yeah, it helped me to, to grow a list pretty quickly. And I was adding new people to it every day. And of course, I also had products for sale on the site. So people who come for freebies, a small percentage of them would ultimately wind up buying something. But between the email list and the consistent growth and traffic, that really helped. But one of the keys was how I went about getting people to the freebies. I did do some outreach to get links from like pages that had lists of different photography freebies. I would find a relevant page and email the person and get a link. And I did get some from that and I get some consistent traffic from those pages. But one of the most successful strategies that I used was guest posts. And I didn't do a ton of guest posts, but I did them on some stronger sites. What I would do is I have these freebies on my site. I'm using them to build an email list. So I would approach sites that had stronger domain authority, like older sites that I thought had a chance to rank well. And I would approach them about doing a guest post. And the guest post was a roundup of freebies. And of course, my own freebies were featured prominently in that roundup. It's like if you were to take the same approach for if you're a fitness blogger and if you have some healthy recipes on your website, you would approach somebody else who has a strong website and offer to do a guest post. It was basically like 25 healthy dinner recipes. And then when you do that post, you would link three or four of your own recipes in there and ideally get them near the top so they get more traffic. So then if that post ranks well, when someone searches for healthy dinner recipes, they're going to come to that page and ultimately they're going to flow back to your site. And then they're going to sign up for your email list when they get the freebie offer. And so it can create a steady stream of traffic. Even though you don't have a strong site, you can kind of get the rankings on somebody else's site and then funnel that traffic back to your site. If I were to do this with that example of you know health and fitness blog with recipes, so I would do one roundup of healthy dinner recipes. I might do another one of healthy snack recipes, healthy breakfast recipes, and I have links coming back to my site for each one. And then hopefully some of those rank pretty well in the search engines and, and continue to send traffic day after day after day. And that's really what happened for me was I was getting traffic. I wasn't doing that many guest posts, but the ones that I did ranked well and I would get traffic every day from them and build my email list every day. And that email list then helped me to sell. So that point is what you're asking about, like kind of putting it on autopilot. It wasn't, definitely wasn't autopilot, like total autopilot, but it wasn't relying on me going out and hitting up deal sites every other day to get a new promotion. Yeah. Now you've got your own people to sell to, to talk to anyways. You can have your own email list. Right. Another similar approach you can do is if you have an affiliate program, depending on the affiliate software that you use, if you can 
create links to any page. So like, for example, iDev Affiliate, if you use that, it's a popular affiliate program. You can let people create links to any page on your site. For example, they can create an affiliate link that links to your freebie. And if that person goes, clicks on the link for, to the freebie, comes to your site and ultimately winds up buying something, the affiliate will make a commission. Even though they didn't promote a product that's for sale, they promoted a freebie. So if you have an affiliate program, you can get some links from bloggers that way. Say, for example, going back to the, the healthy recipes example, if you, you have a healthy dinner recipe on your website or on your blog and you do a Google search for healthy dinner recipes and you come up, come across some of these blogs that have list posts, you could approach that person and say, I have this affiliate program. Would you consider adding one of my or a couple of my healthy recipes? You can use an affiliate link. And if someone clicks through the freebie and ultimately buys something, you'll earn a commission without even promoting a product for sale. So that's another way to use freebies to help yourself grow a list based on someone else's audience. Okay, that's pretty cool. I never really considered that, especially if it's digital products, you can give them an attractive commission because your incremental cost per fulfilling that sale is zero or almost nothing. For creating the freebies, was it just a matter of slicing off a portion of a paid product that you already created and, and that had sold well? Yeah, it was basically just like a limited number. So to go take a step back, there's a lot of different products that you can sell in photography and some of them will be like decorative photo overlays, print templates, marketing materials, presets for photo effects. So a lot of those things are going to come in packs of like 10 or 20 or whatever. So for a freebie, instead of having a pack of 10 or 20, you just have a single one, just one photo overlay or one Photoshop action or one template or something. And then, so they come there to get one. And then the product that you sell is that one is almost like a trial of your pack of 10. Okay. Yeah. Just like, just like free samples at Costco. Got it. (laughs) Yeah. So you eventually create two more photography-related sites. I'm curious about the strategy behind that. Instead of keeping everything under one roof to try and really build up the domain authority of that one site. It really came down to, I already had a process that I followed through the first site, which we've talked about, like the freebies, building an email list, getting links to your freebies and using deal sites. I already had that process. I knew I could duplicate it with similar products. So my second site was similar to my first in in that it sold products that could be considered competing products. Now they weren't exactly the same. Someone could own products from both sites and use them both. And it wasn't like they bought duplicate products, but it was essentially very similar products. So I knew I could duplicate the process. I already had the relationships with people at the deal sites. So I knew if I created more products, I could easily get my products promoted at those deal sites. And deal sites want to mix up the promos. They don't want to be promoting products from the same website all the time. So if I have two different websites, I can probably get promos more frequently because they're willing to promote from two different sites a little bit more frequently than they're going to just promote from one. And also a lot of it came down to the freebies, like I was just mentioning, the guest posts. So as I started doing these guest posts, if I was doing a list of like a roundup of 25 freebies and I was linking to say three or four of my own freebies, and then I realized I'm linking to 21 or 22 freebies from other sites I'm also helping those people, which is fine. I don't really mind helping other people as long as (laughs) helping myself too. But I thought, well, instead of just linking to three of my products, if I have a second site, I could link to six of my freebies and I could build two email lists at the same time. And so that's exactly what I did. I used the existing relationships with deal sites and affiliates, more deal sites than affiliates. And then I also used the same guest post to promote 
both sites at the same time. So I kind of did two things at once in a sense. Got it. That makes sense. Did you ever go back and buy that original DSLR kit that you wanted? Or you were like, forget that. I'm just making money on the blog. I don't care about the camera equipment anymore. I did, but I didn't buy as much as I originally planned. Initially, my goal was to make $5,000. because I had a camera picked out that I wanted and, and a few lenses. I think it was like maybe three different lenses or something. I wound up buying the camera and... I just stuck with the one lens that it came with for a long time. So I think I spent $3,000 instead of five. So I did buy it, but I didn't spend as much as I originally intended. Talk to me about unloading these things. Talk to me about selling these things and why that was an attractive decision where for me on the surface, it's like, I'm going to live off this multi, multi thousand dollar a month cash flow. And yeah, it takes some work to do, but it's okay instead of like, no, I want my lump sum payday and I want to get out. Eventually, I wound up with three photography websites. And the first two I sold in 2016, early in 2016. And I held on to the third one. The reason I sold those, I really didn't want to sell them yet. But in 2015, my wife and I had started an Amazon-based business. We sold private label products through Amazon FBA. And that had taken off a little bit quicker than we anticipated. And it was taking up more of my time. Originally, it wasn't supposed to take up my time, but it was. I just didn't feel like I could do everything and do a good job with it. I had three photography sites and I had the Amazon business. So I felt like I needed to get rid of something in order to to do a good job with anything. And the photography blogs had established profitability. I had some history actually had somebody who I had talked to about, you know, an interest in selling it at some point and he was interested in buying it. I didn't really approach him about buying it. We were just talking. I was like, yeah, you know, I might be interested in selling these in like a year. And he's like, well, what would you want for him now? So I had a buyer who was interested. It was a price that I was happy with. I didn't really want to sell, but I just, I thought the sites were going to stagnate if I held on to them. So rather than let them stagnate and see the profit drop and then the value of the sites drop, I decided I probably should just sell them now and be done with it and free up my time and have more time to spend on the Amazon business and on my other photography site. So that's what I did. And it worked out pretty well. I don't have any regrets. I did put more time into my one remaining photography blog at that point, but I did sell that last year. So in 2018, I sold that. And again, that was kind of to free up time because I had started another site, vitaldollar.com. I had started that and kind of was back to the same situation where I had a lot of different things going on at once. And I felt like I was spread thin and not really doing a good job with anything. So I wound up selling the last photography blog. Yeah, a serial side hustler, serial entrepreneur. And we should know total proceeds from these sales just shy of $700,000. So talking about generational wealth for a few years worth of work on this stuff. So incredible job on that. As you mentioned, vitaldollar.com. That's where you can find Mark's recent stuff, his recent blogging efforts. Obviously somebody worth paying attention to. Anything in particular got you excited over there on the personal finance side of things? I cover topics related to saving money and managing money, but my kind of emphasis right now is is on making money and, and side hustles. And so I'm going to be adding in a little bit more content related to blogging and stuff, but I'm also writing about other ways to make money aside from blogging. And recently I've been kind of doing some interviews with people on what I think are some pretty interesting side hustles got one on real estate investing, Airbnb, on pet sitting that I thought was really cool. It's just stuff that I have no experience in, but other people are doing some awesome things with. So pretty excited about that. Well, very cool. We'll check it out again, vitaldollar.com. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. 
My tip going along with the theme here is hobbies. For me, incorporating a hobby into my side hustle and into my business has been awesome. I, as we discussed, was not a professional photographer, but I had the privilege of working in photography for a few years. And during that time, I was able to do some cool things like travel to different places and considered a work trip because I blogged about the places I was going to photograph and stuff. So I would definitely encourage people to be creative and find ways to incorporate your hobby into a side hustle and try to make some money from it. I like it. Mark, thanks so much for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Nick. When your hobby is your business, just about everything is a write-off. And while don't take that as ironclad tax advice, there's a cool tool that can help you keep track of business-related expenses to make life easier come tax time. And that's our sponsor, FreshBooks.com. Specifically with the FreshBooks mobile app, you can snap pictures of receipts and add those to your business expenses for faster and more accurate bookkeeping. FreshBooks is the award-winning cloud-based invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for small business owners, freelancers, and side hustlers like us. This is the service I rely on when I need to invoice clients or advertisers, and it's guaranteed to keep you way more organized than that proverbial shoebox filled with receipts. Inside, you'll also find helpful features like time tracking, proposals, and more. And the best part, Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days, no catch and no credit card required. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Mark. Number one is to go where the customers already are. This is more or less the thesis of my book, Buy Buttons, but Mark illustrated just how to do that in a few different ways with his blog business. For him, it was reaching out to deal sites, reaching out to affiliate partners, putting his stuff up for sale on different marketplaces. It was reaching out to more authoritative sites for guest posts. In a way, it was surprising to hear that his first step was building a product, but it made much more sense when he shared his specific tactics for getting that product in front of buyers. If you don't have an audience to sell to, you got to figure out how to find one. For me, over the years, that's been everything from literally knocking on doors to guest posting, guest podcasting, to selling on marketplaces like Fiverr that already have an audience of buyers. That's takeaway number one. Go where the customers already are. Takeaway number two is you don't necessarily need to be the best in the world. Mark's story originally caught my attention because photography is my wife's primary side hustle. And here was a guy who took the same hobby in a drastically different direction. 
And even though Bryn does really well with her photography business for the time she puts in, got drastically different results. She's She's got a way to go to get to that 1.1 million. But that was eye-opening and empowering to see the action that Mark took without being the world's best photographer. He said, you know what? This is still an audience I can serve with skills I already have. And I think a lot of us get caught up in the imposter syndrome, in the zero-sum, there's already too much competition game. So it was cool to see Mark looking at the sellers and the products that were already out there and saying, great, there must be hungry buyers, instead of saying, crap, they must already be full. Takeaway number three is more content might not be the answer. Mark started this thing with no audience and no content, just a product. And he eventually started to create photography content to drive traffic and to give him something to send his email list that wasn't a sales pitch. But this definitely got me thinking about alternative ways, maybe more intentional or strategic ways of reaching your target audience. Maybe it's finding a new partner or a new guest post opportunity to get your material in front of a new crowd. One thing I'm focusing on this month is a deep dive into the content I've already created to make sure it's up to date, to make sure it's optimized for search and social, and to make sure it's performing as well as it can in terms of ranking, traffic, conversions, etc. It's a big project given the number of posts, but I think it's a worthwhile one, and it's hard for me because I like to hit, when I hit publish, I want to move on to the next thing. More content might not be the answer. Like Mark showed us, strategic, intentional content probably has a better ROI than just pushing out a blog for the sake of publishing something. Once again, if you hit up sidehustlenation.com slash Mark, again, M-A-R-C, you'll find links to all the resources mentioned, and you'll be able to download the free PDF highlight reel with all of Mark's top tips from the call as well. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.